You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets podcast. My guest today is the co-CEO and president of Concerts West, John Meglin. John, good to have you. Hello, Bob. Good to be here. Okay, so tell me how you ended up deciding to put Celine Dion in Vegas. Oh, my God. Right to it. Um, well, number one, it was actually her idea. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. The original idea was hers. Uh-huh. I mean, she went and saw O. Right. Uh, it was when she had retired, kind of took time off because she was going to go have a kid and all that. And she went and saw O. And after she saw it, she basically said to Renee, when I come back, I'd like to do something like that. And Renee being the- Renee bro- being her husband. Renee being her husband. And Renee being really the brilliant guy that he is, or was, um, you know, he- he had that Elvis Colonel Parker mentality that it was a it was a belief in him of of uh, he loved the Colonel he really loved the Colonel and he loved the way the whole Elvis thing in Vegas so that was a big part of it for Renee so instinctually he knew how to put it together. Okay, so you'd been working with them before. I had well, I hadn't been working with them before. I had been working with Lloyd Bro, who worked for them. And Lloyd originally worked for Donald K. Donald up in Montreal when I was working for Michael Cole. So that's how we knew each other. I heard about the thing and thought it was a brilliant idea, but didn't have the money to do it. And at the time, uh, what was happening at the time is that there was a man named Arthur Goldberg, who was the president of Caesar's Palace. And Arthur and Renee were going to do this deal themselves. Okay, there was no outside person. Arthur, unfortunately, passed away. When Arthur passed away and the new president, I think it was a guy named Tom, well, it was, it was a guy named Tom Gallagher, was the CEO of Park Place Entertainment. They, they owned Caesars at the time. 
Um, he said, look, we'll build the building, but we're not in the show business. You know, find somebody else to do the show. So that was our window. Okay. So how many years did you make the deal for originally? Uh, two. Two. And how many <laughs> did it end up running? Uh, 16, almost 17. And you had an exclusive on the building, right? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. which just ended. Yeah, just ended. Well, it will end July 1. Right. And, you know, some of these things you may or may not be able to or want to answer. How come you decided not to renew the building? Well, it wasn't that necessarily that we didn't decide. I think that, one, there was a miscommunication between our organization being involved in the arena at MGM. Um, and that had something to do with us operating the Coliseum and that. So, um, but at the end of the day, you know, they, they picked their horse after all these years. I don't know why exactly, but, you know, we're not happy about it. Okay, so the original deal, she did how many dates a year? Well, the original deal was 200 shows a year, which was unheard of. And it was for two years, and it was five shows a week, 40 weeks a year. Uh, we were keeping two weeks for maintenance of the theater or the show, and then we wanted to go out and find someone else to do the other 10 weeks. Now, that other 10 ultimately turned out to be Elton? Correct. And he did all 10? Um. Initially, yeah. I mean, at the very beginning, it was only Celine and Elton, you know? And then, oh, I'm sorry. And then it was, a, you know, a few weekends of Jerry Seinfeld. Okay, so the building was essentially open like 365 nights a year. Not only that, uh, we would program uh, Asian shows for New Year's Eve. Uh, or, I'm sorry, for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, those are a different type of holiday for them. So, I mean, we tried to book that building as much as we could. But, yes, that building was full all the time. Now, to what degree was your company at risk? Mm, well, we were at risk for all of, well, initially. I mean, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, one, Nobody thought it would work. Well, you told me the famous story of Marty Ehrlichman. Why don't you tell the audience? Oh, man, Marty, it was great. Marty, I think it was at the Grammys about a year after we had opened it. Marty walked up to me and he said, you know, Meglin, only two people in this business ever thought this thing would work. You and I still haven't met the other one. And, of course, Marty is the longtime manager of Barbara Streisand. But when you went into uh, Vegas, no other rock pop stars were there, right? No, I mean, at the time, it was, you know, it was Cirque du Soleil and Siegfried and Roy. That was it. And to what degree did the tickets sell? You know, it, it, was, it was a roller coaster at the beginning, okay? Uh, the initial sales were great just because of such a tremendous fan base. And, and I swear Canada could have carried you know, the first 100 shows. Um, but it took a while. We kept saying to ourselves, this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. That was our, that's always been our line. These aren't sprints, these are marathons. It's got to build over time. 
You know, don't try to do everything at once. Spread it out a little bit. And it seems to work. So, did business stay steady all the way through the run? No. Uh, we all, everything dropped in 2008. Right, with the economic crash. Yeah, that went kind of across the board. Uh, her popularity, no. The, the amazing thing is it's stronger today than it ever was. Now, yes, we're doing the end of the tour or end of the run in Las Vegas, but... You know, we just began pre-sales this morning on her tour, and they were massive. We were rolling into multiple arenas in many cities this morning just on, you know, the American Express and the Team Celine pre-sale. So people have always underestimated this lady. And then how about the other acts that went in there, like Elton? How did they do? Oh, Elton was, he was a dream. I mean, Elton was... You know, again, you're looking at somebody that was only doing, at that time, 40 shows a year versus Celine doing 200 shows a year. So Elton was virtually sold out the entire time. And, uh, and, and he kept with the theme of, of let's create a show, okay? Let's do something. See, what's happened today has kind of changed it, and it's kind of, to me, it's a little bit depressing because – one of my lines to artists was always, look, remember all that stuff you wanted to do, but you couldn't take on the road? It was too big to travel with. This is the place you can do it all. And, you know, and we wanted to make it a show that you could only see here and the only place you could see that artist. It's become a bit bastardized to a degree where people are just driving through with their touring shows. And nothing special about it. So to what degree is Vegas a factor in your business now? Wow. I think it's become a big factor in everybody's business. The number of artists today that want to do residencies, let alone the ones that exist, think about there's probably five. For every one that has one, there's five more that want one. You know what I mean? Yeah everybody's looking for, quote, the residency, right? And it is. Maybe we're, maybe there's no more touring. Maybe we just do residencies and festivals, and that's it. Well, certainly, we probably have a lot fewer uh, drug overdoses if the fans came to see the bands. This is true. <laughs> okay. Um, anything that hasn't worked in Vegas, whether it be yours or uh, competitors? It's tricky. I've I, I've always found that the Broadway stuff is really tricky. It's almost like the stuff that Clive Barnes trashes in New York right. <laughs> should be in Vegas, and it will do great. I, I remember uh, years ago, uh, Jimmy Orlando Jr., Jimmy, a good friend of mine, and we he took me to uh, Will Rogers Follies at the Palace Theater in Broadway, right, and. And the show just got panned. It was, and I'm sitting there going, this is a great show. I'm like this Bill American guy going, I love this show. You know, the fact is, if that show had been in Las Vegas instead of on Broadway, probably would have been a hit. So the Mamma Mia's, the Jersey Boys, you know, that type of stuff is good. I don't think people go to, go to Las Vegas to see Phantom of the Operas, per se, or, or Cats, or 
you know. Right, right. I think it's a little more, it's got to be more of a show and more musical. So generally speaking, what does a promoter do? Hmm. In Las Vegas? No, in general. Uh, we take risk. We put up the, we put up the risk capital. We believe that we can sell enough tickets to pay the bills, pay the band, and there's something left over. It, it's no more complicated than that. Well, you know, I know a guy who works for BlackRock in New York, big investment firm, and he said he hadn't gone to bed without being at risk for decades. So do you ever worry like you ever, you know, lie awake at night and say, holy fuck, this better work? Oh, I mean, look, man, you know what the worst thing about getting a tour is? Get the tour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, talk about buyer's remorse, okay? You get, you know, you get into this competition, especially today with the numbers that are thrown out there today. You're, you know, it's like, it's almost like Monopoly. I mean, it is like Monopoly for money, you know? And, and, and yeah, I mean, one thing about Gongor and I, we've always, always That's believed. your partner. That's my partner, Paul Gongor. We've always, always, we were taught at the beginning, you act like, you know, you're, you're risking your own house here, your mortgage, which, by the way, we both did for a while, <laughs> you know. So you, once you know that feeling of what it's like to really risk your own money and go, you know, wait a minute, I may lose everything and go to go ask mom and dad for my room back and get a job at McDonald's. So that's what a promoter is. Okay, so let's assume you have something that's not an instant sellout. How do you move the tickets? How do you make your money back? Mm. Well, it depends on what what you're involved in. Mm -hmm. Okay? We are, I like to think that we have a long-term artist perspective. Okay? And this goes back kind of to our upbringing, which was, way back to the Jerry Weintraub Concerts West Management Three Days, where you had guys like Tom Hewlett and Terry Bassett and Jerry Weintraub, I mean, amazing mentors. But they managed the artist, and we toured the artist. And so there were times, I remember John Denver tours, where, you know, he had a hit record, he'd sell every ticket in the house didn't have a hit record, he sold half the tickets. And I did one tour where all I did was go out in front and, quote, paper the house, okay? Um, because John never played in front of an empty house. So I, I've always believed that if you make the right decisions for the artist, for the long term of the artist, if you do that, the money's going to follow, okay? Now, there's many ways to get out of it quickly. Okay, I mean, and that's unfortunately probably 75% of our business. A zillion ways to get out of that. Well, give me a couple. Well, the secondary market on ticketing. People have been using that. They've been, you know, ticket rebates. It goes all the way back to, you know, patting the catering bill for 500 bucks. Okay, uh, it, it, you know, what happens with losers, it creates a system of insides of people, you know, making a little money here on the side, making a little money here on the side, you know. Fred Rosen started 
making a nickel, right? You were a ticket master. Right. So it was five cents a ticket back then, okay? So it's um, the way people now protect themselves is by other sources of revenue that they try to, I don't know, to me, hide from the artist or hide from the business equation. Or, you know, no. And, and they've got a lot of valid arguments. I mean, if a guy invests money in a venue, he should be able to get his money back, right, and make a profit on his real estate investment. Okay. Now, generally speaking, on these really big tours, your competition is Live Nation. What, right. it, does it? What do you find someone, an act, makes their decision on in terms of who to go with? Well... They make it on basically two things, right? <laughs> Who's going to do the right job and how much they're paying me. The unfortunate thing is how much they're paying me, it most of the time, you know, is the deciding factor as opposed to who's going to do the right job. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning for my audience. So you grew up where? Uh, I was an Army brat, but kind of Butte, Montana, and then the Northwest, Spokane, Washington, Seattle. Okay, you know, we're sitting here in Hollywood. <laughs> those, those places seem like backwaters relative to Hollywood. God, and they're very attractive, by the way, and it's where I'd like to be. No, I mean, they are, but but part of that was we learned how to do everything back then. I mean, I was running my high school dance committee. Oh, really? So you got into it that young? Yeah, I did. I, I put my first concert on my junior year in high school. It's Gonzaga Prep in Spokane. And I saw this magazine in, in Father Goble. He was the head of our, our, he watched over our dance committee. We did all city mixers in Spokane. And I'm in Gobe's office one day. That's what we called him. And he had this magazine in there called Performance Magazine. And I start flipping through it and I go, Hey, Gobes, this has all the big bands. And look, it says where they're going. And it's got a, a, a phone number there. It says BA. And he said, yeah, that means booking agent, John. And I went, well, I, I, this band, I just got their first record. You know, and the look, they're up. They're playing in Seattle. Let's call the number. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what was the band? Tower of Power. Wow, okay. Sold out two shows at the high school gymnasium. And we made 1500 bucks. Okay, but let's go back to the beginning. Did you call the agent? Yes. And you said, what happened? I, I mean, I just, I called him and I said, hi, uh, I run a dance committee at a high school in Spokane. And I see your band is in Seattle. And, you know, what are they doing on Saturday night? <laughs> <laughs> and he took you seriously? Yeah, well, I had, I told him that Father Goble was with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I had my priest with me. It was pretty good. Okay. And do you think you got ripped off? No, it was actually, we paid them. Oh, we made money. Right. So it wasn't about that. Then. Back then, remember, it was all flats. Right. You know, they showed up. You had to have, you know, a PA system and some lights. And, uh, you know, you had a dressing room and. It wasn't even this was before writers, right? Right, 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 <laughs> right, right you right. know. So it was fun, and then when I went to college, at Washington, whoa, 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 did you do any more shows in high school? Uh, no, because after that, I, I went off down to Washington State, okay. um, and uh, and they, you no, know, they had more of the college concert committees. Then. Okay, all right. 
And in the mid-'70s, there was a lot of guys, a lot of guys that are around today came from that program. But um, they didn't have a coffee house thing, so I started one. I started a radio station. I started a festival. I mean, that's what – that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Now the, and, Kazoo is now the number one station in Pullman, Washington. And my roommate and I started that thing. It was, uh, what do you well, call it, a 10-watt Class D? Right, right, right. I remember those? You, right, yeah, I remember. You could hear like three miles away. Yeah, exactly. Well, not even that, right. you know. But um, the uh, they had one where I went to college, but it was yeah. there before I got there. So you're basically an entrepreneurial guy, you know, at heart. Of course. That's what this is about. Okay, how many kids in your family? Five. And what do the other four do? Uh, well, they're all girls. Two oh, older, okay. two older, and two younger. One's a CPA. There, three of them are married to guys from Montana. So okay. That's the good thing is we got we've kept the Montana thing alive. Uh, but they're they're all over the country and uh, they're all doing great. I mean, they have the same personality as you. Like you know, I'm going to make it work for myself. Um, uh, I'd say half and half. Okay. There's two sisters that are definitely that way. There, there are two that, well, there's one that's completely happy living in Dillon, Montana and never wants to leave. That okay. is where? It's uh, about 60 miles south of Butte. And what's there? Butte, um, nothing. Uh, Canyon Ferry Reservoir. Okay. The Beaverhead River, the Big Hole River. Okay. Um, the Salmon Fly Hatch. If you're a fly fisherman, those are all important things. So, do you? How long do you go to Washington State? I went three years. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I quit in my senior year. And it's, why did you quit? I got hired by Concerts West. Right. Okay. I thought I did. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The Nick's anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nick's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to Nick's leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Okay, we'll tell that story. Well, um, there was a guy that, believe it or not, worked for Irving, Dennis something. Oh. Anyway, artist touring or something. I forget what it was called, but it was one of Irving's agencies. And Irving Azoff, of course. Yeah. And Irving at the time uh managed tim weisberg remember the of course and the dueling flutes and all that shit. yeah yeah okay so what year are we in 1977 okay all right yeah so i was the block booking coordinator in the northwest for the college campuses and tim weisberg just really caught on up there and in fact i was doing a cut down arena with tim weisberg selling five six thousand seats in pullman washington is Tim Weisberg still alive? Yeah, he's a great guy. As I said, I haven't thought of him in so long. God, yeah, he, no, he's really a good. Was it Dan Fogelberg? Uh, Fogelberg son? Weisberg, right? Uh, different mothers. No, uh, twin sons, different mothers. Exactly. Something like it was something like that. That was another part, one. For uh, there was a part of the plan. Was uh, no, what was? Uh, no, it was a great song. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think but, it was part of the plan. Uh, yeah, it was a. Really okay, good so song. you're booking. Uh, so there. I book at Tim Weisberg, and this guy Dennis is one. Whoa, day. whoa, whoa, wait, just a little bit slower. You're you're still at Washington State. Yeah. And you're booking for other places too? Yeah. How did that happen? Well, <laughs> well I uh, I got an office in the student union building. Okay. <laughs> and my roommate and I, well, I guess I got to back up a little bit. We first figured out that all these dorms and fraternities and sororities all had to book two or three bands a year for their little, you know, uh, proms, right, whatever right, they right. call them, their little balls, right? So we started a little thing called the Student Booking Service. And what we did is we got one agent up in Spokane, Washington, and we gave him an exclusive, and we signed up all the dorms and the fraternities and the sororities. And so the agents would all split their commissions with us, and we would book, and we because we would tell the, you know, they every year is a new social director right. of the fraternity, and we're like, hey, guys, we don't want you to get ripped off. We know what the bands cost. We'll get you good deals and all of that. So, you know, fast forward to there, we started, you know, block booking, we called it. So I'd get the guy in Bellingham, Washington to buy a show, and the guy at, you know, Puget Sound to buy a show, and the guy at Idaho State to buy a show, and the guy in Missoula to buy a show. That was Clip Mitchell, by the way, the way you are his agent. He was the guy in Missoula. And uh, 
yeah, we just put all these together. And then this guy called one day, this agent, he worked for Irving. I remember that. He said, you know, you need to work for Concerts West. And Concerts West brought all their shows into Pullman because we had a Pac-8, 13,000-seat arena. And up in Seattle, they had a 7,000-seat Civic Auditorium. So the big shows would come down and play Pullman, and they had to go through the students. How far is Pullman from Seattle? 60 miles south. Okay. Uh, not from Seattle. No, Seattle, 300 miles. It's on the Idaho. Oh, okay. Wa- yeah. So what's it? It's close to Boise? No, it's close to uh, Spokane. Okay. Uh, Coeur d'Alene. Okay. okay. You know, if you go down from Spokane to Coeur d'Alene, 60 miles, you have Pullman and Moscow, Idaho. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At Washington State University and, and uh, University of Idaho. Right. Okay. Where were we? I lost track. Okay, so you're block booking. You get tracked down by this guy. Says you should work at Concerts West. Yeah, so I got an interview, uh, and in fact, this is the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. And I go up to Spokane, and a guy sent me. Remember when you got a prepaid ticket? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I sat all day long in Spokane Little Airport waiting for my prepaid ticket to come through. Okay, I'm a kid in college, right? Right. And I'm thinking, and my buddy's going to pick me up and when I get there and drive me to this interview, and I go and have an interview with this guy named Tom Hewlett. And, and this know, is where in Spokane? This is in Seattle. Seattle. So I okay. flew over to Seattle. Right. Right. And uh, Cascade Airlines. <laughs> yeah, back when there was Cascade, Allegheny, all those other ones. Exactly. And it was like, so I go over there and I get, I have this interview. I remember I wore, I think I looked like, uh, the guy at Midnight Cowboy, because I had on like a, you know, like a tan, like almost crust velvet pants, <laughs> vest, right? Matching vest, yeah, 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 yeah. jacket, uh, boots, and, and you know, the collar out, right? And I meet this guy, Tom Hewlett, and he's like, oh, yeah, I got all these tours going on, and I got this Eric Clapton tour. I, uh, I think I could use you on that, right? That's what he says. So I leave, and I go back to school, I quit college. <laughs> I load everything in my car and I drive out to Seattle and uh, move in and uh, living on the floor. My I had four buddies. They had a two bedroom apartment, so I was the fifth guy. So I slept on the floor out in the you know the couch or out in the living room. I've done that. Yeah, I mean that's how you start. Right. And I would go every day and show up at this office. Right. So Conscious West had an office. There. Yeah, it was uh, in Bellevue, Washington. Okay. And you had. Paul Gongaware, um, uh, Tom Hewlett, Bassett, Terry Bassett. I mean, it's a really great Dan Fiala, um, so, uh, uh, Bill Leopold. I mean, some great names were all out of that office. They and, were all out of the uh, Bellevue office? Yeah. Wow. All those guys. And then Terry went down and started the Dallas office. Sims got hired. He went out. He started the Atlanta office. And, uh, but no, I started showing up and I didn't have a job. I mean, I would sit there and I could tell Hewlett after a few days would be walking in and whispering to people, go, who is that kid? Right. And I just kept doing things and walking around and asking people if they had anything to do till I got like, became whatever. I was there. And I finally, after about two, three weeks, got the courage to walk into Bill McKenzie and ask if I could get paid. <laughs> and what did he say? 
He said, yeah, no, it was cool. By then, and, it, and I started, it was $200 a week. That's what it was. Um, and when you're on the road, you had uh, $20 a day per diem. And you, uh, uh, Concerts West had a cool thing back then called show pay. And it was like I don't know, 60 bucks a show if you're on the road. But it was like the tour director's decision how to split the 60 bucks. So if you're like the guy out with Gongware, like one of the ones I started with Gongware second, right? You know, he'd split it with you 30-30. Right. No offense, Sims. But if you're out with Sims, you got $10. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so you, you, what happened is you generated a brotherhood with these guys. But what was so cool about Concerts West is we were never really local promoters, you know, and we didn't do, we weren't in that club theater business that every local promoter was in. We were like a arena up touring company, you know, and it was just so cool to be back there and see that at that time. Now that was all Jerry Weintraub, right? It was Weintraub, it was. Bassett, it was Irving and his relationship with Bassett. It was uh, Bill McKenzie, and and the relationships were deep. You know, they were like uh, the first thing I worked on was Swan Song. That's what I was assigned to. So, and that was Peter Grant and Clive Coulson. And so you worked on Bad Company, but if Dave Edmonds went out, you had to work on Dave Edmonds too. And like Paul and I were, we were putting the Zeppelin tour on sale when Bonham died. Uh, after that, I had to do the firm, which was, you know, Jimmy right. and Paul Rogers. Right. But I never got to do Led Zeppelin. Okay. How much of the time were you in the office and how much of the time were you on the road? Back then, you were on the road, I don't know, nine months. To, okay. Sometimes, I mean, you could be on the road for 14 straight months. Right. With a little break for Christmas or something in there. But, and back then, we did five shows a week, six shows a week. Traveled in the buses, slept 16 guys. Today, they sleep six. Right. At all. It was a different, it was a different time. And but, were you ever making any money or just in for the experience at that point? Oh, no, you're in for the experience. I mean, look, the first tour, first big tour I did was uh, with Gongware the 1978 uh, or 79 uh, Bad Company Desolation Angels. Right. And that was multiple arenas. It was as, back then as big as you got in the rock and roll. And I remember I'd never been to Las Vegas. We played the Aladdin in Las Vegas. And one night I lost everything I made on the tour. <laughs> and are you still a gambler? No, I mean, I just, <laughs> learned, no, no, I just like, it was, you know, it was just stupid. Right. You know, but, but you didn't care. I mean, this may sound really weird. This is, again, I'll give part of this as a gongleware line, okay? We don't think about the money. We really don't. We think about what's the right thing to do. And if you do the right things, the money will follow. If you start, and this is where gongleware is, if you start thinking about the money, you're going to compromise the decision-making. So maybe that's why, you know, we just kind of live in our own world the way Paul and I do. But it's pretty simple to us, you know. That's a cool project. 
Here's how you could do it. Here's how you could make it work. And let's go do it or not do it. Okay, so you worked for Concerts West for how long? 13 years. It was, there were variations. It was called, you know, it ended up being called Wine Tribe Entertainment Group. But really from 78 to 90, I was at Concerts West. And then what happened? Then Michael Cole hired me to go up and I was the director of touring for CPI. This was right after, uh, right at the end of the Steel Wheels. Steel Wheels tour in 89, right. Right. And so I went up there and they kind of figured, I mean, Michael told me and Arthur told me, they just said, look, you know, we're going to be in this touring business. We figured we needed to hire a Concerts West guy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do. They knew we we'd grown up in that in that environment. So uh, I started there. My first day was July 1, 1990. It, it was very funny. The, I had this marketing kid named Jeff Shabon that was going to be working for me, and I knew him from before. I, I think he worked for John Stoll. And I w- they put me in like one of those Oakwood apartments. And he and his little marketing buddy from uh, uh, Labatt's comes over to pick me up. Your little marketing buddy. My little marketing buddy, Michael Rapino. Of course. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and they take me out on a boat on Lake Washington where there's this DJ, who Joey Scolari. <laughs> <laughs> it's but all the same it was, people. Yeah, it was like, you know, um, and, and by the way, what a great time. I mean, I loved every minute of it. And probably would have stayed if they, you know, hadn't moved down to Bahamas or Bermuda, wherever right, they Right, moved. right, 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 I mean, that was really the factor for me. So how many years were you there? Almost seven. Okay. Six, seven, seven. Yeah. And what was your responsibility there? Well, uh, I was kind of the... I was the operations director of those tours. In a sense. You know, we routed those tours. I did all the building deals, did all the ticketing. Ticketing was very different then than it is today. Uh, it was hard tickets back then. Um, so really routed, did the deals, and of course did the they marketing. Did, they did the Stones. Who else were you doing at that point? We were doing, we did uh, Pink Floyd's last tour. Okay. Division Bell did uh, Paul Simon. Right. Uh, it was that was a great tour. One of the, one of the greatest bands I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Stones, of course, Voodoo Lounge, Urban Jungle tours. Uh, David Bowie. Uh, we did Bowie uh, Bowie Nails tour. That was an experience. That was a tough tour. But Bowie Morrissey when Morrissey walked off the tour halfway through it, uh, and they were look. And it was right at the beginning of the U2 relationship when I left, right at the very, very beginning. Uh, well, they sold the company, and they went to Bahamas for tax reasons. What happened to you? I got married. Someone you <laughs> met in Toronto? No, no. Somebody. Well, actually, I met her while I lived in Toronto, but she was, a, uh, she was directing a show for Disney that we were touring. And it was called Disney Symphonic Fantasy. Uh, one of the, I mean, an amazing show. But we weren't allowed to play arenas because of the Feld contract. Really? Yeah. The Feld contract prohibited Disney from producing a competitive touring attraction, right? Uh, 
whatever. So we tried to see if we could put this in amphitheaters and that big mistake. And, and the reason we actually did it, I remember, is because, you know, Michael uh, was doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bus and truck Broadway stuff, uh, very, very successful up through Canada and even into the States, and doing cats and all that kind of stuff. So we wanted to get the bus and truck rights for, you know, Beauty and the Beast. That was the first Disney Broadway thing they were doing. And Disney was kind of inferring that, well, if you do this tour for us and you'll be in line to do the bus and truck, of course, we did the tour, lost money, and they decided to do the bus and truck in-house. <laughs> but I got a wife out of it. Uh, we lost a million dollars on the tour, so worth it <laughs> but it wasn't your million at least yeah exactly. okay so they move away you're now getting married what's your next step well while i was over in um that was the only this is the only time you've been married yeah okay 25 years coming up this september pretty rare in this oh business, yeah absolutely huh? i know it's pretty pretty amazing well we got married later so right right been on the road ahead everybody got their old fantasies out exactly exactly you know or thought about them um, so, uh, Brian Becker started calling me while I was over in London with, with Bowie and he started going, Hey, we want to get in the touring business, wherever you want to live. If you want to live in, this is when Houston. he's running live nation this is when he, no, this is when he's running pace. Okay. Pace concerts. And then, you know, he said, come on and we'll start this touring group. You and Louie are tight. Da, 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 da. Louis Messina. Louis Messina. So. We came, I agreed to go work with them. Uh, God, ironically, it just happened. I mean, Shelly dying is like, oh, my God, there's nothing. I mean, Shelly Lazar. Lazar. I just love that woman. I mean, um, God, that was devastating. Anyway, right at the last minute, Shelly calls me gets my wife and I to fly down to San Francisco because they're like, why did you come and start BGP's story? Now, ironically, both of them got bought by Sellerman right, right, at the right, same exactly. time, so I guess it would end up the same place. But, um, yeah, they flew us and wined and dined us and all of that down to San Francisco. And it was very funny. The last night there, my wife got, we were staying at the Castle Madrona out in Sausalito. And last night, we are going to fly back to Toronto and Go across the street to some uh, Italian seafood place. My wife has seafood pasta. And by 2 o'clock in the morning, we're in Marin County General. The worst food poison I'd seen in my life. It was terrible. But that's not why I picked Pace over BGP. Right. But, uh, so anyway, I, I ended up doing the Pace touring thing. And Louie and I kind of got together on that. And we started, if you remember, we started OzFest then. Right. We did uh, the first Fleetwood Mac reunion tour, and Louis started this thing called the George Strait Country Music Fest. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's that's what kicked it off for him. That's what really got him to be a country Louis, you know. Before that, we all knew Louis as he was a rock promoter right, in right, Texas, right? right? And um, and we we're I mean, Louis and I were having a great time because. You know, I was like, I'm more the business structure operator kind of guy. And, I mean, he is the greatest salesman I've right. ever seen. He really is. I mean, he's like, you can't beat Louie. And uh, 
and the two of us would go in a room. I mean, I didn't think we could get beat. <laughs> I really didn't. But then the Sellerman thing comes along, and SFX buys Pace. And Pace Touring wasn't even two years old. And to me, honestly, it was a bummer. I really hated seeing that happen. You know? And maybe that's, maybe I had it like in my head ahead of time that I was going to get out of there anyway because of the consolidation and, and all of that. And I just hate that. And, and, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't get along with the guy. <laughs> no right. question about that. I mean, that was, everybody knew that. And that's what I knew. You know, I got to get out of here. You know? And, well, everybody was running into this place. It was really weird because, okay, I'm going, okay, I'm going, I'm quitting my job. My wife and I are adopting a baby from Romania, and I'm buying a house. I've been living at Gagawar's house, right? And all of this at the same time. Right. Right? You're making all these commitments with no incoming. Right. Nothing. Yeah. It was all I used to call it outcome then. Right, right, <laughs> We're looking right, for right. income right now. It's all going out. Um, but, you know, thank God for Paul, you know, like my like my big brother and you know he came to me and said come on let's go be the other guys no um they just we could just go out we thought of it we'll just go out there and maybe we'd be able to get one or two tours you know and just say look we're the personal you know the quality over quantity hands-on all the time da 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 uh it, uh, the way we do touring has never changed. We're doing touring today the way right. we did it back at Concerts West, okay? uh, which is everything goes in the pool. Uh, it was a real easy line back there, which was I'd rather make my, back then it was 15%. Right. Right, <laughs> right. I'd rather make my 15% of it 100 times than steal all of it once. Right. And that was always our thing. So we always put everything out on the table with the artist. It was always about the right decisions for them. So Paul and I thought, well, there's that's missing, you know, and we should be able to go out. And I think he more personally wanted to do that because of our lifestyles. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, didn't we get into the music business because we didn't want to wear a suit, didn't want to cut our hair? Didn't want to work nine to five. I mean, now why is everybody pushing for that? <laughs> why is that? I like, listen. I you couldn't agree more. <laughs> even at this late date, I, I know it's and it's there. I mean, you know, but it's like so. But that's really what's see to me. That's what's cool about it is that as things consolidate, it also means things will fracture. Mm-hmm. And I'm always a guy, I've always been one of the fractures, I think, whatever. But, and I think it's because one guy, but we're dealing with art, okay? Our job, what does a promoter do? We marry art with commerce in the live business. That's it. I don't do records. I don't, I do, we just do live. We sell tickets. And we know how to do that right and how to control your expenses and how to do it your way, okay? But... 
I'm not getting off topic here. No, but, how you're uh, talking about uh, Pace gets sold to SFX and how you decide to go independent with Gongleware. It was, we just felt like something was missing. Okay. And we felt like what was missing was really exactly what what we do, which is, you know, does anybody care about the artist in this equation, in the live side? And I'm not trying to be idealistic or anything, or I'm just trying to say that it's a perspective that you could take. If you take, because we learned that from Jerry Weintraub. Okay? He, you know, if I didn't do what was right for his artist, I got fired. Right. Okay, that's that's that simple. So I look at it that way today. If I don't do what's right for Celine, she should fire me. If I don't do what's right for the Rolling Stones, Paul and I don't, they should fire us, okay? I want to make sure what we're doing is the right job. So that's what we felt like was missing, and we felt like that's what we enjoy doing, okay? I mean, I was talking to him about this earlier today. What we really love doing is, is doing what we love doing. And what we love doing is finding a project and going out there and making sure we're doing it better than anybody else's, trying to think through everything we could possibly think of. Every artist is different. So how could how can you do the how do you take this tour model for this other artist and apply it to that artist? I mean, you can't look at it that way. You gotta look and say, okay, this artist and and they wanna do live. Right? Let's just start there, and then let's work it backwards from there. Um, when on, on our tours, the best type of touring deal is the deal that the guarantee is the last thing you get to, you know? Because what it means is everybody's worked together. Okay, should we play in these kind of places? What should the ticket prices should be? How much are we going to spend on production? da 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 what are we trying to achieve here? What's it going? Do you want to bundle the record? Do you not want to? All these different things, okay? What, what is right for you? And then you sit down and go, okay, I'll bet on that I'm going to do it right, but let's, like, go through the numbers, and here's what doing it right does, and I'll guarantee you that. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The Nick's anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nick's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to Nick's leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Okay, so what was the first tour you got with Gongo? I think it was it was Bocelli, his West Coast run, and you, and you know why we got it? Everybody was we dynamically priced the first 50 rows. Let's go back. And, and, and that generated a half a million dollars more, and our numbers were that much bigger. Uh, whose money were you using? That one was ours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that one was like, uh, but we found, uh, uh, then we did Mariah and the Dixie Chicks were right. our next two tours. I, I might have been Dixie Chicks and Mariah, one way or the other. Um, and for that, we had found a guy up in uh, outside of Portland, Oregon, Alan James, bless his soul, passed away. Um, kind of, he he was from Wilbur, Washington, which, believe it or not, that's a summer camp that I worked at wow. in high school. Okay, and nobody would know anything about it. it was on a you took a ferry across an Indian reservation to get to it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so um, and he did like low-budget films, and Paul and I explained our whole thing to him. And said, How'd you find him? Darren Libidotti, the kid at, in, at the time was at Thomas and Mac, and he called us and said, hey, you should beat this guy. He's doing boxing promoting, and he's doing some low-budget films, and Paul and I went in, and our, you know, our whole thing is very, we're very transparent. Right. So our deal with investors was always, look, the money gets half. Right. And the work gets the other half, okay? And that's really how we conducted our business. Paul and I were responsible for all the people that work for us. So that meant Paul and I didn't make it. But Paul and I, we, it's funny, we put ourselves, we had $250 a week salaries for our first year, just so we'd have insurance and stuff like that, because anything we made, 
basically gave to the employees. And then you ultimately sold that company to AEG. Yeah. And 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 a godfather of that to us was Irving. Of course. And he saw it. Uh, ironically, Paul and I were actually meeting with SMG. Because part of our whole pitch, remember Paul, we started a little company called Arena Network back then. Mm-hmm. And it was part of, uh, in fact, it's a funny story. Back then, we couldn't afford to fly, so we drove back and forth to Vegas for meetings, right? Right. So we were driving. I went, Gongor, I got the name. I said, for this Arita thing. He said, what? And I said, AFX. Aritas for excellence. <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been right at the same time. It would have been great. Well, explain what Arena Network is. Arena uh, Network, and it still exists today. Right, but you don't own it anymore. No, no. We sold it back to the members, I don't know, a number of years ago now. But it was, uh, it basically came from the concept that the arena managers are tired of waking up and seeing that an act was, seeing in the Sunday paper that an act was playing at an amphitheater down the street. And they never even got a phone call because their local promoter in the marketplace owned the amphitheater. So this was created to really protect the arenas. You know, Concerts West, I guess, was always an arena company. Right. Just because. You know, the first ones who had amphitheaters were the Nederlanders, and there weren't that many of them, okay? So uh, we felt that those guys needed a, a you know, a, a voice. And at the same time, there was a, a group. It was Brad Main. It was Tim Ryan. Uh, uh, Kevin Tuick in Spokane. Darren Lebanani. That's how we got tight with Darren. Um, I, I'm sure I'm getting somebody, uh, Jim from San Jose, they were like the core guys. And they were like, look, our owners are, our owners are, you know, they're not happy with this situation. What's going on with these amphitheaters, okay? What people forget in our business is that, because you've been around, you've seen it long enough, okay? You and I grew up with civic and university facilities. Right. Okay. It was Spokane Civic Center, it was University of Tennessee Arena, whatever it was, okay? Then the amphitheaters came along as a cheap outdoor venue, you know, kind of the Dieterlanders and then Pace. They were owned by promoters. Owned by promoters, right? But then the arenas went private, which the Palace uh, gunned. Those were like the first. And when the owners of the NBA and the NHL team said, hell with that, I'm going to go build my own places, that was another paradigm shift. Okay, And that's what we kind of exist there today. Um, you know, the amphitheaters, let's put it this way. I don't think the amphitheaters are as popular today as they were. They're not. I think a Rapina would agree with you who no. owns most of them. Now, Hollywood Bowl. Well, that's yeah, not, yeah, anything yeah, can sell. You and me can sell out Red of Rocks. Bar. I know it's great. You know, right? I mean, I wouldn't call a, that an amphitheater, though. No, I wouldn't. But because uh, there was stuff that would sell at Hollywood Bowl before they turned uh, tore down Irvine Meadows that would that would lose money at Irvine Meadows. Correct. Correct. You know. Well, I mean, again. They started it back then, their mixes. So at a certain point, I guess we all called it the uh, 
the Jimmy Buffett deals when right. we were paying 105% of right. the gross or whatever it was, right? That was another, that was the shift, okay? So, I don't know. Okay, so you sold to AEG. So, what is the mission for Concerts West at this point? It's really funny. The Well, the mission for Concerts West today is very different than the mission for AEG Presents and right. all of that because... Paul and I, we, we were the original block of it. Um, we had touring and kind of golden voice in our minds. Um, but we did have regional offices in our plan. And if I go back to the original business plan that Irving, Paul, and I presented to Phil and his guys in Las Vegas, it had all that in it. Okay. But we said we wanted to start with the touring. Uh, actually wanted to buy Golden Voice because of their relationship with developing artists. Okay. Coachella was not Coachella at that time because Paul Dongor and I, you know, were, were helping back Paul T um, after his first year. You know, first year they did it, they lost right. They lost everything, okay? And then the, and Paul came. Then I there wasn't the one the next year. And then Paul T came to our office and asked Gongwer and I if we take a ride out to the desert with him. And Gongwer was like, he got it immediately. He was like, hey, it takes three years to get these things to happen. So we backed him. Irving was part of that. Uh, lost money, but then when we sold the company, they're going like, what's this Coachella thing? <laughs> You know, you're throwing your shit in the deal here. <laughs> and, you know, um, but our vision back then was always to be a quality over quantity guy. And, and I hope that is what it is today. In fact, I, I forever telling people that work, you know, in our group and all of that, and when they get into this competition thing, and I'm always like, don't compete. It's just a waste of your energy. Be different. Be yourself. Be, you know, you got something to offer, you know. In our business, there's always horses for courses. You know what I mean? And when, you're, when, when you have to match people up with personalities, and not just the artists, but also the other personalities around them a lot of times that are handling it, sometimes it's as simple as just having the right person, you know. So to Paul and I, I'll tell you what, this is, here's our mission statement, okay? This will say, right. what, what do we want Concerts West to be? It's exactly this. We don't want to buy companies. We want to hire good people. We want to empower them. Empowerment means that if you give somebody responsibility, you give them authority. You give them the resources they need, whether it's the money, back office support, et cetera. And the most important thing is get the fuck out of their way. <laughs> okay and it's so hard for people to do everybody wants that I, listen I know it's listen I watch Jim Allison and John Nelson and Chris Lingle and the, the job that they're doing on Celine Dion right now and they're they're the ones doing the job okay I, so you're working on Celine now you're working on the Stones, Stones uh, we've got Asia's you know, we've got Ed Sheeran running all over Asia right, right. now. 
Salid uh, uh, is finishing at the at the Coliseum. There's only 16 shows left. That's pretty amazing. And there's some other tours we're working on. I mean, right now, my focus right now is Celine's tour. And because um, it's we're in on-sale week. Okay, so you're still an arena company looking for complete tours. Correct. Okay. And, and, and globally. Right. It doesn't have to be arenas. It can be, I mean, we're stadiums, too. Right. I think we have as much experience in stadiums worldwide as anybody, if not more. Okay, tell the story of how you got the Stones. Oh, God. It's better Paul telling the story. Uh, he was the one that sat on Joyce's doorstep. and That's their attorney manager. Correct. And um, Well, at the time, they had Dainty in Australia. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know. I, I can't really say what happened and why that fell apart. I think it, may, it had to do with money, which well, it always does. may have, but, <laughs> right. you know, that's, look. I mean, that's why, above all, you gotta you love Phil Andrews, okay? I mean, if you really look at it, why are we able to get the Rolling Stones? Because we have Phil Andrews. Yeah, somebody who's willing to write the check. And who gets it. Right. And his guys get it, okay? I mean, when you, when you really look at it, I mean, Dan Beckerman, Ted Fickray, Todd Goldstein, Jay Marciano, Ted Tanner, the guys that are right there around Phil, they're really good guys. And and the interesting thing is, we, we say this internally in that, but every single deal that I've brought to Phil, he has said yes on. Wow. And, and that includes telling this guy about a thing called Celine Dion's show in Las Vegas that her and her husband want to do. And everybody in the world thinks it ain't going to work. And he says, well, how much are we risking here? And I said, roughly $150 million, that ballpark or something. And he, and he just looked at me and said, you know, John, I think we should do it. <laughs> okay? I mean, there aren't that many guys out there. Like no. That. I mean, that is like, and, and to have, honestly, you know, I mean, Phil's a much more conservative, regular guy than the rest of us, okay? Right. To have the patience to put up with all of our crap? <laughs> I mean, that alone, you know, is good. But I think Phil loves what's been created. Like, I think of it, I tell people this, it's like a playground, okay? If you look around AEG, there's so many cool things to play with. And if you come up with something cool and it makes sense, Phil will say, let's go do it. The Bangkok Arena that they're all working on now. Right, or, or like, even, you know, Strasbourg in Denver or their, you know, the Mission Ballroom, et cetera. But going back to the Stones, okay. you know, talking generally, an act like that, how do they let you make money? You're putting up all this money. They have a legend of, take, of getting these guarantees. Do you say, hey, you know, uh, we got to make our X percentage, or how does it work? Uh, we put up big guarantees. I mean, it's look, they're very fair people. They they understand. Look, they know this business well right. as anybody. Right. Okay. You know, come on, give me a breath. Have no one been doing it and doing it at that level for as long as they've been doing it, and they have nothing but 
amazing people behind him. Choice, her manager, Tim Woolley, who produces all of the tours, the, all the, the financial support, everything to do with that. Opie, their production manager, Patrick Woodruff, and then all of the people on our side uh, that are out there working these things. Um, what, what's so cool about the Rolling Stones is that every time they go out and do another tour, you look around the organization, maybe one person changed. <laughs> I mean, it's like everybody's still there. Everybody wants to be there. It's as professional as you can be, you know? So, but they're, they're, they're fair guys, you know? They get it, you know? And, and, and Joyce gets it, and, you know, I think... Yeah, they they allow us to make money. They want us to make money, okay? But they know that our first priority is, you know, to do the tour the way they want their tour done. Okay, so famously, although you mentioned you did it earlier in your career, when the Stones came back after their 50th, you've been doing dynamic pricing. Mm -hmm. So explain the motivation and how that ultimately works. Easy motivation. Um, we had an open ticket, which, which I define as as soon as you sold it to the consumer, they were free to do whatever they wish with it. And, uh, we were watching, we would sell a ticket for a hundred dollars and watch it get resold for $500. It went, that's wrong. Okay. Um, you can't stop supply and demand. Okay, so we said, wait a minute, that money belongs to the artist. That money doesn't, you know, and, and again, I always say the artist because what we make is based upon what the artist makes. Mm -hmm. so the artist makes more I make. So I look at it and I go, wait a minute, that money belongs to the artist. So it has been a concern. I know everybody's aware of it now. Right. It, as you know, this has been a concerted effort of ours now for over a decade. Okay that we have been figuring out how to get that money that used to exist in what we call the secondary market, how do we get that back over onto at least the side of the fence of the industry? For me, it goes to the artists. But even you guys in your buildings, get it back on your side of the fence. Don't have these outside guys. They have, they have no right to be in our business to the degree that they are today, um, and, and it's our own fault because we let Okay, them but in. now the Stones, legendarily starting decades ago, uh, would charge what the uh, the real price of the ticket, okay, the secondary market price. Do you think— if I would call it market value. Market value, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, uh, do you think it behooves other acts, developing acts or acts with different issues of credibility— to charge less, or should everybody charge what the market will bear? No, no. I think it's, again, go back to the individual artist, okay? Um, for the Rolling Stones, what they don't have is time, okay? They're only going to do X number of shows. If you remember when Paul and I did Prince's Musicology Tour, okay, we had no scalping problem at all. We had no secondary ticket problem at all. 
Why? Because we kept adding shows. So we were able to keep our price down, and we were adding show after show after show. And even Prince said back then, he said, look, if we've sold four Philadelphias, and we think we can only sell a half of another one, we're already set up. Let's do the show. We'll figure out a way to take care of underprivileged kids and stuff like that with the remaining tickets. So we never had the 21 nights in London. We never had a, it was the theory behind the 50 nights of Michael and Michael Jackson. That's the way you keep your ticket price down. And it is important for artists to keep their ticket price down. Younger artists should keep it down, but they're going to have to play more. Okay. An older artist who can't tour as much, who's going to have less frequency on the road, has got, number one, a bigger, you know, there's going to be more demand because there's less supply. And then if you get to, let's call it the artists who've been around for four or five decades, their generation is also at the time in their lives where they have money. I got a great analogy for that. I heard this when I was over in London a couple of weeks ago. You know, we always talk about how it's the boomer generation can afford all these high prices. Right. Da, 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 da. Somebody from the 80s came up to me and said, hey, you know what? I don't mind paying $250 a ticket to go see Duran Duran for being my wife. And I just started laughing. I, right, just, right, I right. loved it. I mean, it's great because that ge- the only problem is that generation is so much smaller. Right. Okay? So going back to the Stones, tell us how the uh, dynamic pricing works. Well, um, ay, ay, ay. how do I, I don't know, you know, what's the henway? Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. Well, let's, let's just assume for the sake of numbers, you have an arena that's 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's a big arena, but let's just use that number. And you go on sale, forget any pre-sales, whatever. You go on sale. How many of those tickets would actually be on sale at the beginning? Or do you just put a certain number to figure out what the price would be? Two things. You've heard like uh, Marcus talk about it, uh, which is slow ticketing versus quick ticketing. Okay? You kind of got to decide up front what you want to do. Okay? You can't say, oh, I want quick ticketing and it didn't work. And then later you said, oh, I really wanted slow ticketing. That means – that means you, you lost. Right, yeah, right. You fucked up. Okay? So slow ticketing is something for where you don't mind taking the time to sell all of the tickets. But you're going to be able to learn more. And, and the technology is all there today. You're going to be able to learn more over a slower process and be able to adjust your prices. So like Ticketmaster has a program called Pricemaster today. And if you use Pricemaster... After you're on sale, it will say, hey, see those two rows of tickets that you have $175? Well, if you drop them to $150, they'll all sell in three days. How do they know that? Or they just, all they algorithm. do. It's algorithm. Right. Yeah, so they know that. I, here's, here's a good way I look at the ticketing world today, okay? We just went through, I don't know, maybe it was a couple decades, uh, but at least one decade Figuring out the technology. Right. Okay. So you have to go today and you got to go. The technology exists today to do whatever you want to do. Okay. So it's not about technology. It's about business rules. Okay. So 
that's going to be the challenge next, okay? Because there is transparency. We know that. We can follow everything. So you can't hide anything anymore. In fact, there's a lot of people who are like having to explain now why they hid things a long time ago and why they hid them all. Um, problem with lying is you got to remember them. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's become a very transparent world. Okay. We can see what the supply and demand is today on anything. Okay. And we have the technology to do it any way we want to do it. Okay. So it's really going to put the onus back on the business rule. Should I allow one company to exclusively sell all of my tickets? Should I do it a bunch, a bunch of companies? You know, if I, if I have one company sell all my tickets, maybe they'll give me more money. But I think we're, I, I, I kind of think we're past getting the big check from Ticketmaster, <laughs> you know? Well, well, the Ticketmaster, a lot of times they have an exclusive with a building. That's what I'm talking so about. So you don't have the option to uh, use other ticketing companies. Hmm. How do you think Coca-Cola would have done if they could only sell at Ralph's stores? They would not have done well. No. And why have we been doing that for all these years? No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm trying to say, do you believe the buildings themselves will not take that carrot? I think it's either them or the artist. Okay. I, I think ultimately it's there. I mean, I sh guess I should be able to say it should be the promoter too since we're putting up the right. money. But, right, right, you know, right. remember, we put up all the money and we're still at the very bottom of the food chain right. here. Yeah, but uh, either the venue controls the tickets because they have a civic responsibility or the artist controls the ticket. It's their fucking, their tickets, right, right. <laughs> okay? And it's like, we go back to Pearl Jam, we go back to whatever we want, okay? I mean, Pearl Jam never went in and asked the simple question of, can we sell our tickets without service charges? To which, at the time, Terry Barnes would have said, sure, here's how much it cost. Right. Nobody wanted to talk about that, you know? So, think of it as a leaky bucket, right? And the leaky bucket was really bad with the secondary market. Okay, now we've started to learn how to close up our bucket, but we still need open distribution. We're fools to not have open distribution for our product. Well, I know from talking to someone in your organization, they made a deal and Amazon sold some tickets for them and they sold tickets, you know, that they, they couldn't reach through the traditional ways. Correct. That was done over in London. Right. It worked beautifully. Okay. I mean, come on, we all know there's giant communities out there, online communities, other, there's just communities, right? And so why shouldn't we be reaching out to those people, okay? We want, you know, you try to get your music out to everybody. You try to sell your records everywhere. I used to. Uh, but why aren't we make, making our tickets available? The airlines do. I mean, do you think American Airlines and United dislike orbits? Of course they hate orbits. Yeah. But they like that, but they, they sell love tickets their business. For them. Okay. The only one that's independent is Southwest. Yeah. But everybody they, else, but I, I understand your point. No, my point, okay. They have, I, they're on Expedia, they're on orbits, they're on their own site because you never know where the customer might be. That's right. That happens to me all the time. I tell people it's Southwest. I didn't know, well, because it wasn't on orbits and it wasn't on Expedia. It's like uh, uh, a buddy of mine. 
told me the story about uh, Toomey and Costco and how Toomey said they would never, ever put their product in Costco. They had a 2008. They had a bunch of orders they couldn't get rid of. Called Costco and said, do you mind taking some of it? Costco said, how much do you have? We'll take it all. Guess who sells more to me than anybody else today? Right. And I think to me just made a deal with Amazon too. One of those exclusive companies. Of course. Otherwise you're putting yourself out of business. How about premium ticketing? Anything we haven't covered here? Well, premium, listen, here's what I think. Okay. It's because everybody gets really confused. So there's a couple of ways to look at this real simply. There's primary and there's secondary. Okay. Primary to me means, and I'll use, an old analogy, but what prints out on the ticket is what they paid. Mm-hmm. In other words, I have never in my life, I've never scalped a ticket in my life, I've never sold a hundred a ticket that says $100 on it to somebody for $500. Right. I have sold $500 tickets, and they say $500. I have sold packages, and those packages might be $1,500 and include a $500 ticket, but they explain that. So in other words, our responsibility is to keep things in the primary sale and keep things out of, quote, the secondary market. Now, secondary market, you always want it to exist, you know, but I don't want them taking 90% of the lift as they have been for the last decade. I'm fine with them taking 10, 15%, because then they're my orbits. Gotcha. Okay, so how do you decide? Tell, walk us through the process of pro, of premium ticketing. Um, premium ticketing is in a reserved house. Yeah. Preferred locations, preferred rows. Live Nation's doing it now, where you can pay extra to get the aisle. I, I'm pissed. I didn't come up with that. Um, you know, it's. Uh, because we live in this sliced up world today, you can slice it up and you can take little, I mean, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I was told that you could buy seats sitting at a cocktail table on the stage at Lady Gaga's yeah, I when read she that. does her jazz show. Right, right, right. And I'm like, okay, that's what premium ticketing is. Okay. So if you have a show, forget the stones with the dynamic. How how many t- you were in an arena, how many tickets do you use for premium ticketing? It varies, you know, obviously it's going to be more in your majors. It could be how much should it be? It's probably running about Well, for us, I'm trying to run as high of a percentage of that as I can. 5 to 10%, 20% of the inventory. I hope eventually we are looking at our entire inventory in that way because we're capable of it okay so um uh depends on the artist it depends on obviously the demand okay how what the scarcity is going to be okay and and what areas also can we dynamically lift okay in other words we all know the front row of a any balcony anywhere, it's usually a pretty cool seat. Right, right. Right? I mean, like being the front row of Dodgers, a front row of the first balcony right. of Dodgers Cape, it's a great seat, right? right? Okay, so we're applying that now. A lot of that just because we can. So, but premium 
or platinum as it's called on Ticketmasters, is about the more special thing. It's like you got green card, gold card, platinum card, and a black one, right? So it's the same thing. It's first class. It's business class. It's a one-bedroom suite. It's a one-bedroom suite with a balcony. You know? Okay, but do the perks matter or are people just buying the tickets? Uh, it, I think it used to be, honestly, just the tickets and the location. As weird as it sounds, I think everybody's really getting into the perks. Well, tell us some of the perks you've used. Oh, God. I think the greatest perk was, and continues to this day, that Shelley started with the Paul McCarty Soundcheck package. Well, bought one myself. <laughs> Get to sit and watch Paul McCartney do a sound check for an hour. He yaks back and right, forth. Right, 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 right. And that, you get an amazing seat. I bought two. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a great experience, okay? So um, I think kids today are even more into that experience stuff than we are. We, right. we think of experiences because we're old farts. We think of these experiences like like paying for first class. Right. Okay. Capture experiences, but capture it so everybody can capture it. That's where you make the money. Okay. You know? Switching gears again, we have an endless issue with the Ticketmaster fees, ticketing fees. Public hates them. StubHub included them, and their business went back down, and they would. What's the future of the ticketing fee? Mm. Gotten way up there. Um, okay, what is it? We all now know it costs nowhere near that amount of money to sell a ticket. Right. Okay? I mean, we know that really, come on, you're not even making anything now. Okay? Everything's electronic. All right? Yes, I believe somebody should be able to make a profit at what they do. But I think by adding charges, creating charges, increasing charges, putting things on top, as they call it. Oh, push it on top. Right. Put the credit card charge up on top and all of that. You're hurting your product. Okay? Because at the end of the day, you know, who are you fooling if you – if you say, yeah, I'm selling my tickets for $100, but when the person shows up, they're paying 145 Right. Trust me, the guy who paid 145 knows he paid 145 <laughs> It's the other guy who thinks he only sold it for 100 Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> oh, I only sold my tickets for $100. Yeah, but everybody's paying 150 by the time all the charges are on top. Again, I think transparency is going to kill a lot of that. You know? I mean, and... There's nothing wrong with choices, okay? Like, you know, you want to go online shopping at Costco or Amazon. And you want the jungle gym. You want the jungle gym delivered tomorrow. Right. You want two guys to set it up. Right. Yeah, you could do that for X amount of money. So our business is now capable of doing all these things, okay? But it, it it's kind of back of, well, did you get in the music business because you wanted to be a computer geek? <laughs> I got. I was, 
I was just reading about that today. They were reviewing a book in the Wall Street Journal because they were talking about Moneyball. You know, the scouts as opposed to stats. And no matter what anybody says, you know, the, the facts have to come from somewhere. So I don't know. I mean, this becomes a uh, – because you're – when you do arena tours, that's the top of the business, arenas right, and stadiums. Right. And we grew up in an era when the record companies supported the clubs, which right. they certainly don't do anymore and the clubs don't exist. Right. Yeah, but I'm talking about a real club, 450 people. Now they'll say, you know, 2,500 is a club. That's no. not a club. That's no. a theater that's in a my theater. book. So – but – uh, you know, the developing acts, the other things you talk about in terms of selling tickets to different places, that's another issue where there are acts that sell out arenas that most people never heard of. You know, this message doesn't get out there. Let's stay on the technology for one more minute, though. Okay. The uh, paperless, what's the future of that? Oh, it's uh, mobile ticketing. Like streaming, right? It's no different. So, it's, so the ticket will be tied to the person who pushed it, who yeah. bought it. Yeah, it's got to be closed. Right. Uh, by closed, I mean just the same way you can't sell your hotel room to somebody else unless the hotel says it's okay or whatever. In other words, when I was making my point about the business rules, right. our job is going to be the business rules. I'm not saying what those are today, but I'm just saying that that is going to be what we have to deal with, if that okay. makes sense. Okay, so in today's uh – you know, you got into the business, I got into business because music really drove the culture. Music was everything. And despite some younger people saying otherwise, it does, is, even though it's ubiquitous, it doesn't hold the same mind sure, the same place in the mind that it did when you had your transistor radio and your stereo and that's all you had. So obviously you're very excited by the business end of it. Are you still excited by the music? Yeah, but I got to find what I like. Okay, like, cause I, I'm a, I'm a contrarian by nature. Okay, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big hip hop fan, but man, did I love R and B, and when I hear that in it, I love it. Okay, um, it, I think country's the one that's got a little click trackish myself. Right. Um, you the, you know, it's the- like they all, yeah, that one's sounding a little too much alike to me, and and I think there needs to be some branching out there. But then I look for the branching out, okay? I'm one of those guys who everybody saying rock and roll is dead. That that energizes me, <laughs> okay? Because I'm the guy who says, you know, the time to buy, when you hear about buying gold, that means it's over. Exactly. I'm a big <laughs> believer and I'm a contrarian too. Let's just go. You mentioned that you got involved with Coachella. It took three years to ultimately make money. What do you see as a festival business in uh, the health of it or the future of that in America today? There's one side of it I like, okay? But the side I like is the community side, okay? That they're all going out enjoying the live experience. I don't know if the festivals today are the um, the roller rink, uh, what we call them, pop shows back in the right. 60s when, when – you know, you had Buddy Holly and, and you know, you had multiple six, acts. Multiple right? acts. Um, it kind of represents that. It does represent this experience thing, okay? I mean, um, but it'll always, it's like anything else. The strong will survive. The weak will die. There will be you know, there will be those that look like the bar business, which is you go 
down the street and you buy the dump. You turn it into a hot place. The second it's hot, you sell it. You go down and buy it. So there will be a contingent of guys that go and do that. And there will be the strong that survive. The ones that I think that will survive, though, will be the ones that have a strong community base to them. It sounds weird, but I, I see that more of coming. I see there's more. The festivals carry the greatest social message that we have in our business today. Okay? It, uh, I mean, without talking about the lyrics or the words of a song, but I'm just saying, where else do we have a better communal experience than a festival? Right. Okay? And it's, we loved it when we were kids. Absolutely. And they had a lot and, fewer amenities. And, and, and our concerts were almost festivals anyway because we had GA floors. Right. Okay? And, and it was a whole bill of each day. You just ran around. So I that's an important thing to keep live entertainment alive. But then but then Brian Becker's story in holograms. <laughs> and they're selling tickets to boot. Is it? Yeah, well, certainly the first one, Roy Orbison in the uh, UK, did relatively well. So this has been wonderful. We could talk for hours. Anything you didn't co- we didn't cover that you have to say? Oh, um, since we're talking about Concerts West, we're talking about Gogler and all of that. Concerts West is, honestly, it's about our people. My GNA is nothing but overheads, meaning salaries. Right. Okay. Um, we have the most incredible people, and we live by those lines. I mean, the, 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 the ladies and the gents that work at our place, they just love what they're doing. And Paul, and as long as... We can keep having fun doing this. We're going to do it. That corporate wearing a suit stuff always scares me. I agree with you. You've been listening to John Meglin on the Bob Left Sets podcast. You were fantastic, John. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Bob. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply.